We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The man stood above us and said, I am Joseph. Joseph? Joseph, really? How is that possible? I don't even know. I, I don't know if he's Joseph, but let me tell you who I am. I'm Reuben, and I'm in survival mode. Let, let me explain. 15 or 20 years ago, we had a brother. His name was Joseph. He was the apple of his father's eye, and he was a pain in the patooie. He had dreams, dreams of sheaves of wheat living over and bowing down to him. And, and we, the brothers, were the sheaves. And he had another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to him. Dad read him the riot act for that one. What is this dream that you have dreamed? Will I and your mother and your brothers come and bow down to the ground to you? Yeah, he could get under your skin real easily. And once, when Dad sent him to go check on us while we were out tending the flocks, one of the boys said, hey, look, the master of dreams is coming. He wanted to kill him. But I, I was the oldest, so I had to kind of step up and be responsible. I dissuaded them, at least for the moment. I had a, let's, we took off that stupid coat and put him in a pit. But then, while I was off chasing a stray, the rest of the guys, they sold him to some Ishmaelites headed to Egypt. When I came back, I looked in the pit, now what? So we invented a lie. We dipped the coat in blood and took it to dad. Fast forward 20 years or so, and the spring rains failed. And then the fall rains failed as well. Grazing land grew scarce, crops withered, and another dry spring the family is hungry, we're in crisis mode. Jacob, dad, hears that there's grain in Egypt. He says, go. And so 10 of us go down with our beasts of burden and some money in our pockets to buy grain. And there, there we run into this very hard man, this man, Zephaniah Paniah. He grills us with questions. He accuses us. You are spies. You've come to seek the nakedness of the land. No, my Lord, your servants have never been spies. We come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. And he asks more questions. He asks about other brothers. We tell him about Benjamin and the one who is no more. At this point, I mutter to the brothers under my breath. Now, didn't I tell you? Now there will be a reckoning for blood. Spoken Hebrew so the man wouldn't understand. And then he sets the demands to prove our innocence. Simeon must stay as pledge, a hostage until we bring the youngest boy, his life forfeit. We pay for the grain and, and head out of there, but the money. Somehow the money's still stuck in our sacks. Did we steal this grain? We try to explain all of this to Dad, but he's really mad at us. Why did you say you had another brother? Here, I say, I offer my own sons, Enoch and Palul. Take these, Dad. Take these instead. No. Wouldn't hear anything of it. The grain was bitter in our mouths, and it too ran out. The whole family is in survival mode once again. Go back, Dad, says. Buy some more grain. We can't go back without Benjamin, that man, Zephaniah Paniah. He insisted. Finally, my brother Judah offers his own life as pledge for Benjamin. 
we pack up and go. Zephaniah Pania is even more flinty than the desert we walked over to get there. When we arrive, the man calls us into his own house. He gives us water to wash our feet and then sets us a table. He puts me at the head and then Simeon, who he's brought out of jail, puts him right next to me and then all the brothers in birth order down to Benjamin. He doesn't eat with us. He sits over on his own table over there. He eats apart from us. But he sends portions from his table to each one of us and to Benjamin a five-fold portion. The next morning, they hustle us out of there right at dawn with the grain that we purchased. We brought back the money from the first time to try to make things square. And even though it's midday, already the soldiers are charging down on us. A cup! The cup! Zephaniah Paneah's cup of divination. No, my lord, we would not do such a thing. The man who did this shall die, and we will be your slaves. Let it be as you say, the steward says. He who is found with it shall be my slave, and the rest of you will be innocent. It was in Benjamin's sack. So we load the animals back up and head back to face that flinty man. What is this thing that you have done, he demands. Do you not know that a man like me can brew divination? Judah pleads our cause. Without the boy, our father will die of grief. Let me stay in his place. The man scowls, and he orders everybody out. He stands above us, his Egyptian finery glittering in the sun. I am Joseph, your brother, he says in Hebrew. I'm in survival mode. At best, we're slaves for life. At worst, we've seen our last sunrise. I recount the story of Reuben to invite you to consider another survival mode, one that is a lot closer to home, one not as dramatic as the word of the second of Egypt, one not as time critical with lives hanging in the balance, it is more an attitude that has seeped into our life together. Redeemer has a history. We have seen, we've experienced traumatic times and seasons, open conflicts and hard words spoken in heat, families heading for the doors over matters of doctrine, the efficacy of baptism, infant baptism, who should or should not commune, individuals offended by some of our practices, Personalities that became more important than the person and work of Christ here in our midst. Redeemer has reinvented itself more than once. Empty places, faces that are missing, more anticipated. Some have moved away from the coast, part of our more transient society we live in. Some have been translated to the church triumphant the bittersweet joy of a temporary loss. We're experiencing a change in demographics. We have more young families that offset the aging. We are actually a younger congregation than we were 10 years ago. But there is still this huge hole in the middle. Can we survive the passing of another generation? And shrinking membership has strained our leadership. Last year, we voted to combine two offices. Why? We simply could not fill one of them. Will that change in the next election cycle? 
survival mode can be very pessimistic. Shrinking resources have meant to budget constrictions. Redeemer made some hard choices last fall. Likely they will not be our last. We need five Sundays every month of the year if we're going to make budget. And survival mode is evident in careful, polite conversation. We all sense the danger, our increasingly precarious position. We know some of the old divisions, the lines that divided us. Rightly or wrongly, we assume that they still exist. We just don't know the timeline, what the future holds, which is a good time to go back to the text, to see ourselves, to stand with Reuben and Simeon, Judah and Benjamin. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Did those dreams haunt him? Did the image of that pit as they dragged him out and took 20 pieces of silver for his life? So Joseph takes the next step. He invites them closer. Come near, please. And they do. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. He names the sin, and by it moves them to confession. Luther writes, so far, Joseph has aimed at humbling his brothers in order that they might despair completely of their safety and of returning to their father and might have certain and perpetual slavery before their eyes. But when they have been disturbed and terrified, he pardons them with such great clemency and affability that he even weeps as they weep. This is the way of the church, because this is the way of Christ. Consider Jesus' specific efforts to restore Peter. He re denied him three times, right? Once even with a curse. So when the angel tells Mary, go and tell my disciples and Peter to go ahead of me to Galilee, there you will see me. And there at the seashore, Peter receives a triple grace, three times restored. Or Zechariah talking to Zerubbabel in the Old Testament, through his prophet God, gathers, strengthens, and in a measure raises them from the dead and encourages them to complete the building of the temple. Let us take heart, along with Reuben. It begins with confession that we may be absolved. We confess that God is in charge, and in doing so, we may use Joseph's own words. And now do not be dismayed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. This is Christ's church, not ours. He can and will use even our mistakes to preserve, to preserve life, to preserve unto eternal life. Now, God is in charge is what a first commandment question, right? What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and I would suggest in all circumstances, even as we reflect on empty pews. Right behind Leland is Claire's pillow. In the face of budget challenges, it was often Claire who said, God will provide. Don't fret. Facing the uncertainty of turning over the congregation's right to call a pastor to the Council of Presidents, I'm told that it was Claire who said, don't worry, God will send us the right man. That's not a boast or a claim of authority regarding how I came to serve. Rather, 
It's a humble confession and a request for absolution and a, and a word of thanks for these many years. God so amazingly has all things in his hand. Recall the intro to the day from Psalm 37. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He knows our frame. He, knows, he hears our prayers. We cannot, we should not be in survival mode because we are already survivors. We've been washed in the water of baptism. We've received his spirit. You are forgiven. It's also a third article question. What does this mean? In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. Pray for the Spirit. Trust in the Spirit. We will survive. Charles Ellis suggests that sometimes we need to understand the work of Christ on the cross in a new way. What we need is a VCR mentality. I'm a tremendous sports fan, Ellis writes. Since many sporting events take place when I'm not at home, I videotape them. When it's time to sit in my easy chair and view the tape, unlike most people, I don't rewind at the beginning. Instead, I rewind it only enough to get to the climax, to see who wins. If my team lost, I put the tape away. But if my team won, I'll rewind it all the way back to the beginning, get out some snacks, and watch the whole game. Some people contend that that can't be any fun. On the contrary, no matter how bad things look for my team, I don't worry. I know the end of the story. That's how we ought to think about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That's how we ought to think about this congregation. We ought to have a VCR mentality. It turns out well for Reuben and Simeon, right? Judah and Benjamin, as they weep with joy on their brother's neck, Joseph dispatches carts and animals, and Jacob and his whole household, 70 in all, come down to live in the land of Goshen. And though we know that there were tough times ahead for them, God preserves a remnant. For out of that remnant would come the Lion of Judah, who now reigns victorious on the heavenly throne. For Redeemer, tears of joy lay ahead of us as well. We are survivors in Christ. We need not enter survival mode anymore, for God orders all things according to his will. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.